Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's happened with each of these drug crises is that they've hit America and, and really it's taken 10 years for it to hit Europe and to the same extent. They only take action when it filters into broader society. I think it's justifiably cynical to say that if you look at the fentanyl crisis in the US, people didn't care that people were dying hand over fist in the US until it became a political issue. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World. A podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Children are being radicalised by drug gangs and turned into killers in the same way that terrorists have. And now the EU want to develop an early warning system for countries to recognise this process. The tsunami of cocaine which is still coming for the block and which has changed the whole face of organised crime is to blame for the shocking societal changes being recognised by the European think tank. The warnings come at the same time the Maersk shipping company have said its entire industry is under threat from cocaine cartels determined to ship their cargoes across the Atlantic. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the evolution of organised crime into the biggest threat along with terrorism that we are now facing. This is Crime World a podcast from sundayworld.com. There was an email thread about this podcast going to various people and other plans we had for other things we were going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was on it. Myself and Niall will do cocaine. Yes, yes. Which, yes, we will discuss cocaine. Would be <laughs> As our other Niall pointed out, in any other company, if that was on an email, <laughs> it would be, probably end up... Yeah, in a HR scenario. Major HR, maybe sort of some counsellors brought in to deal with the staff. But anyway, it's okay here because of course we are going to talk about cocaine. Um, And, you know, we're not repeating ourselves. These are constant warnings coming um, through various medium, in particular Europol, the European Police Agency, is concerned um, by what they've been describing for a long time as a tsunami of cocaine. That's they are saying hasn't even yet hit us, despite the fact uh, that the seizures have gone through the roof. Now, this week, they're talking about kind of coming together with a plan to try and 
um, intervene yep. in the lives of children who are likely to become what they're now calling soldiers, child soldiers, that they're, they're forced into working for the criminals and the cartels. They're forced into doing their bidding, be it moving the cocaine or, um, you know, forcing debts out of people. We've seen this in this country um, for yeah. a long time now. Yeah, I mean, it's probably been now at this point being treated as probably the EU's primary security concern after ter- after international terrorism. Yeah. So, I, th- I mean, I think they were in one of the figures in the Guardian there this week, they, they estimated that there was 303 tonnes of cocaine uh, seized in 2021. That's the latest figures. That's the latest figures. And it's been growing since 2014. So yeah. we're 2021, we're now in 2023. Yeah. And their figures are that 2023. Yeah. I mean, look, we got, what, two tonnes off the coast of West yeah. Cork. Yeah. And there was cheers and celebrations and, oh my God, that's yeah. so much cocaine. But actually in the greater scheme of things, it's just a little blip. And that's before, Yeah, these are seizures we're talking about. That's yeah. before what they get in, which was always estimated to be, what, 10 times that more? Something like that. Some, yeah, they always say 10%, between 10 and 20% is seized. Is seized. Like that's the, the, the sort of rough figure. I suppose what you see is that the European authorities are no longer treating it as uh, solely as, a, as an issue of public health and drugs. Mm. They're treating it um, increasingly as an issue of corrupting society, I suppose. Um, obviously, we had the European Commissioner for Home Affairs. Is it Eva Johansson? Eva, I would have called her Eva. Johansson. She's, she's uh, Swedish. Yeah. And so what she's speaking about is, is maybe basically the corruption of young people in society across Europe and how, as you said, these, these children, young children, young teenagers are being uh, groomed into this life and the social consequences of that. I mean, that, that is what they're, they're speaking about. Um, I think she's gone a step further than grooming. We yeah. talk about grooming and, you know, we've grooming legislation here in yeah. Ireland now and we've talked about grooming a lot about these drug gangs kind of like identifying vulnerable children and luring them in. Grooming is quite a mild term as a yeah. word. Yeah. But she's actually talking about them being radicalized. Yeah. And radicalized to become killers. And she says they are the drug gang equivalent of child soldiers. The drugs trade orchestrated by organized crime is one of the most serious security threats facing Europe today. And the situation is escalating. Yeah. So, and it is a radicalization. I'm glad that word is finally kind of entering the arena because when you see young children and for some reason, my mind is going to Drogheda a lot. Yeah. Um, I suppose, given what happened there in recent years with Keen Mulready Woods. But those kids are plucked from a lot of them, not speaking about um, Keen Mulready. Mulready Woods, but some of the, the the kind of the kids that we would have come to know of from working on on that story of the feud and everything that engulfed Drada. You're seeing kids that are from marginalised areas. Mm. A lot of them are from marginalised families where there has been parenting issues. Yeah. Where they, they have fallen through the cracks in education and with the social services. And they are being taught that their way to road to riches, to success, to belonging is through becoming killers. Yeah. And of course, what the EU is saying is that it's it's a process of radicalization and you know, you remember during the, the sort of, in, in the UK, they had de-radicalization for people that became involved in Islamic militant groups. Mm. 
And the idea of that, why they had to do de-radicalization was that you can't just, if you put somebody in prison, for example, that that doesn't solve the problem of having a radicalized person and you have to re-educate them. And I suppose she, uh, Miss Johansson, is drawing an equivalent for this is that it doesn't matter that somebody is 13 or 14 and gets sucked into this lifestyle. What she's saying is that to get them un to get them out of that lifestyle is not simple because they are, if they've adopted a whole other moral uh, standpoint and, um, you know, that's, that's what they're, they're saying. I mean, I don't think that kind of this new wave of focus from the EU or, or European authorities is to do with the public health threat caused by the existence of coke and, you know, the mm. damage it might do to people in terms of addiction or other health problems. But what they're really seeing is a societal effect. The collateral effects of and, yeah, and the, all that money we talk about that and you have just to, goes up the chain to the, the leaders of these gangs. Exactly. And if you were to be cynical about it, you could say that that you know, other waves of drug epidemics have caused huge social problems and people didn't maybe care. But I think what they're, you know, and if you were to be cynical, you'd say, well, this is starting to reach into ordinary society and that now they're they're, they're starting to take action. You could say that cynically. Coming off your interview only this week uh, in relation to the IRA and organised crime, very interesting point in it was you know, that heroin epidemic, would it have been tackled differently had it happened in Fox Rock or Black Rock? And also, should the state not have gone in there to back up the concerned parents movement in the the beginning? It was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. I was listening to it in the car. Um, So I think you see that like, um, like this this same week, there was a really interesting interview in the Financial Times. We don't Always quote the Financial Times on the time. We're very high we have, in here. Well, certainly a couple of I am. one or two of us. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's an interview with um a leading executive in in uh is it pronounced Maersk, Maersk which are one of the big logistic companies that basically run They're Swedish, are they as well? I think they are, and they run they run container ships really. So they would do a lot of the transatlantic traffic. Um but it's an interview with with a, a leading uh Chief, he's an executive of one of the offshoots, Keith Svensson, he's saying. And he is saying that what has happened to the supply chain is drug gangs have infiltrated it to an extreme extreme, extreme degree. And what he is, he is saying, shipping companies are dealing with some of the most dangerous people in the world. The way that these people are infiltrating the whole supply chain, not only the supply the shipping side or or the port side is rather extreme. Mm. So what he's saying is is that you know European drug gangs is what he's talking about that they've infiltrated it from root to branch mm-hmm. in terms of the shipping, um, and that what they're what they are fo- being forced to deal with is he says his biggest concern is a duty of care towards the staff rather than the costs or the risks of it, and there have been. Inf- incidents where there is infiltration where employees are being coerced into helping drug gangs. Mm. So they're basically saying that from the second that products are picked up, say in somewhere in South America, say legitimate products, um, and from the time in which they land in a European port, that every stage of that process has been corrupted at some point. The guys who pick it, the guys who pack it in trucks, the Mm. guys who bring the trucks to the ships, the guys who load the ships, the guys who sail the ships, all of these are being infiltrated. And rather than um, 
you know, his suggestion is rather than what was once, you know, maybe bribes or somebody would be, you know, paid a bit of money is that they're increasingly using coercion, threats of violence mm. to make sure uh, these these things are getting delivered. So that's that's a huge problem. And in that in, in that article, mm. the Financial Times also said that, you know, they had a bit of a, a leaked document where they're talking about um, re, you know, a reintegration of the security in European ports and that this has to be done and they have to draw up these common risk criterias to work across a European basis. But like it's become a massive issue. Yeah, it's like the issue of laundering for the banking system, isn't it? It is. It's it's where everybody had to be retrained as such in that and regulations had to be brought in for the customer that you can't take out a certain amount of money or Come yeah. show up with a certain amount of money without asking questions. Um, that's really interesting. I think Maersk were the shipping company behind the MSC. Gayan yeah. had nothing to do with them. They didn't realise. But no. again, their their crew was infiltrated by a Balkans gang who basically employed people to go onto that ship and it collected the, I think, billion. It was the first billion euro yeah cargo of cocaine that was and found coming to Europe. Coming well. to Europe. It was found in Philadelphia. Um I was interviewing that day the then Assistant Commissioner John yeah. O'Driscoll and he had to step out of our interview to take a call from the US because yeah. they had contacted the Garda Shiacona believing that part of that shipment was of that cocaine was belonging to the the Kinahan organization. They were being contacted by the US in relation to that. Um, I mean, look, you know, there's another interesting information coming out of Le Havre, the French port, where the dockers are, reports are being threatened. Yeah. There are people being shown pictures of their family. These same reports are coming all the time. You know, it's like you're building up an intelligence of what's happening in this darkness, in this underworld. And when you're getting the same reports, it's the same MO. So the shipping, obviously, and Maersk are the first to come out and say that their whole industry has been corrupted. The shipping is the most important, vital part of getting the cocaine from South America to Europe. That it's effectively the only way. Obvious. Yeah, it's effectively the only way. I mean, flights are, you know... The- Too monitored. The sky is heavily yeah. monitored. Flights... I'm sure, listen, I'll tell you what, we're probably saying this now and they're probably already loading up some passenger planes somewhere with a load of cocaine. And I'm sure there's plenty of routes in through the sky to various countries into Europe and they're trying every which way. But the shipping routes are hugely problematic. And I think we're seeing all the time this MO that has become apparent that was there from the beginning of time, but seems to be the big thing at the moment that they're the container ship is breaking up the loads at sea. Yeah. That they are leaving these navigational marks for other fishing vessels to go out and collect it. Sometimes they're transferred further inshore and then smaller fishing vessels are going out to collect them. I mean, there was another 210 kilos of coke found off the coast of between Belgium and Holland there. Mm -hmm. Again, I mean, and that followed on from another one a few days before in roughly the same area following on from a couple of one in the Isle of Wight, was it? And one in Dover and back to Ireland, you know, three weeks earlier or whatever. So it's just going on all the time. Um, I think what Maersk are talking about is, you know, where they're, as he, as he describes it, it's where they're saying that 
What has gone wrong is we have international drug trafficking using legitimate infrastructure to move that product by infiltrating supply chains. Mm -hmm. So that's the two type where literally a ship is hired and it's solely for the purpose of, of, of carrying cocaine across the sea or where there's a legitimate cargo and the cocaine is mixed somewhere within it. But we've seen a lot, of course, in South America has been through, through fruit yeah. uh, shipments has been probably the most common, hasn't it, in recent times? Yeah, I think the bananas. I yeah. mean, that's just, let's, yeah. I mean, in Antwerp, actually, yeah. Yeah. they have, like, I mean, they are the biggest problem. And I was in Antwerp port this summer. Um, it's just phenomenally big. There's a huge amount. I mean, it's the entry point to Europe, not just for cocaine, but for like all our bananas, practically, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that is a big problem. Yeah. Um, and it's coming in those. But in Antwerp, they have decided, like they've upped the policing, uh, the customs officers there by a hundred. They have decided they now just have to routinely check every consignment of bananas that comes in through that port. So yeah. of course, you know, the cocaine smokers are just going to move to another product. This is the problem. But there's an interesting, um, a Laurent Laniel of the European Monitoring Centre for Drugs and Drug Addiction. And they're the EMCDDA who often uh, release these reports. He was talking this week and saying that um, they're seeing a concerted ongoing attempt to flood Europe with cocaine. It's still an expanding market. It shows no, shows no sign of slowing. And he's talking about that the consequences are that um, within Antwerp, Rotterdam, La Havre, the big ports of entry, there is this spiraling corruption. Um, and like what Maersk are saying about their entire industry, they're talking about the entire port system has been corrupted. Yeah. But interestingly, and this is the first time I've seen this figure. Let me find this. It's what the the dockers can get for well, and just, landing. Here we go. Sorry. Uh, he talks about the you know many of the people working around the port needing little encouragement. The tariffs that have been found by police. The going rate for helping to extract a container from the port is seventy five thousand euro, and that's a drop in the ocean for the amount yeah. the value of the product in that container. But if you think that you're on a salary of about fifty thousand, and you have control in your job about what containers get the green light to yeah. leave the port, and somebody is offering you seventy five thousand tax free, yeah, it's hugely tempting. If they're offering you that, and if you don't take it, yeah. they have a photograph of your children going to school, yeah. your family, they know your address. I mean, it's leaving people so vulnerable that clearly something has to be done to up the security around the individuals working in these industries. So, I mean, this is, as the Financial Times are reporting, that the EU Commission have drawn up this plan. It's going to set up this uh, organization called the European Ports Alliance mm -hmm. um, that 200 million will be allocated to fund extra equipment to scan containers in 2024 um, that the commission will also urge member states to uh, to to set up a to set up companies or set up means to and this is the quote screen and vet their employees to avoid corruption by criminal networks and they they give some of the statistics for um the, at the level of scanning that goes on at the moment. So Antwerp, as you saw, which has been the focus of a lot of the, both the, the trafficking and the security measures, it currently only scans about 2% of the goods that pass through its port. But they now 
under this new plan, they would scan all containers coming from Latin America and considered high risk by 2028. Mm. At the moment, about 5% of them are scanned. Right. I think that means a sort of random checks, I presume is what yeah. they, they mean yeah. by that. So this, it's this a is a sea of containers. So it is extraordinary. Yeah. I've been to a couple of major big ports um, over the years Rotterdam, Hong yeah. Kong. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what I do in my Hollybops. I go and see yeah. ports. I know I've been working yeah. and I've always gone to the ports because they're such key in, in all sorts of smuggling. But the thing about Antwerp, what I learned when I was there was, of course, it's the diamond capital of Europe yeah. and always has been. So a little bit like our border in Ireland, there is a tradition of smuggling within yeah. Antwerp and there's certain family sort of groupings um, that have been generations smuggling, yeah. not drugs, not cocaine, no. anything, Yeah, you know, yeah. coffee, yeah. alcohol, yeah. tobacco, whatever the product yeah. is. Clothing, in the black, videotapes, whatever it was. So they know how to do it and they have sort of long held um, relationships with people within the port. They have probably infiltrated it themselves, you know, through, through generations. Through generations, yeah. exactly. So it's a kind of a multifaceted problem in Antwerp uh, with a small population, actually. And and up until the summer, um, very little actual gun crime or gangland crime. It's yeah. quite a peaceful yeah. place. It's kind of where money changes hands and where business, the business of crime is done as opposed to the dirty business yeah, of as crime. as opposed to the street crime. But I noticed that the EU is also looking to strengthen its strategies to disrupt this recruitment we spoke about yeah. at the beginning of children. And they're looking, you see, the EU makes these recommendations and it's up to member states actually to take them on. It's a think tank, really, the EU. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, yeah. And of course, there's different legislation in each country. So yeah. it's, not, it's not uniform, like, you know, one thing can be illegal in one country and not illegal in others, uh, yeah. you know, so... It, As a member, you kind of agree to take on board these strategies and, and, yeah. and these sort of um, new... Directives. Directives that is, they have, yeah. exactly. So this is, uh, I mean, for me, this is the first time that I have seen them speaking about the recruitment, the radicalization, yeah. the grooming of children on an EU level in this way. And they're looking to sort of have this strategy that countries can identify those early signs of kids being drawn to organised crime, which would include obviously dropping out of school, shoplifting, those sort of petty crimes. And I always think when we're describing criminals and we try and go back a little bit into their background, there's almost this mantra. They started out with petty crime, yeah, moved yeah. to armed robbery and then went into the drugs business. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you're nearly trotting that out for every one yeah. of them. And of course it's because that is the route. Yeah. Um. So Brussels is also looking to develop a sort of a European drug alert system to let national authorities and drug users know when dangerous new substances have filtered into the market. And that's fentanyl they're talking about there. Yeah. They're very worried about that being the next problem. Haven't got to grips with cocaine. They still don't know how to sort of stop this tsunami, they're calling it, that's that's hitting, you know, and, and corrupting society. And they're now going to have to have a double pronged approach because fentanyl is big time on the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to, to, to you work to... with Latin and Central America on that to share their intelligence. I think that's probably why we're seeing some Gardaí 
going out yeah, to Colombia I mean, and various countries like this. I mean, you had a, a report in the Irish Examiner there recently about how um, some Irish criminals had been flown over to Central America to discuss the, the importation of fentanyl into Ireland. Like fentanyl, I'm sure, is available in Ireland somewhere, but it is certainly not a wide scale problem at all at this point. Um, so, and I think in general in Europe, it hasn't hit in the way it has certainly in the US at this point. Like it's not. It's, but in the US, it has. People aren't going out looking to buy it. No. Some people are, right? Yeah. Okay. Obviously, some people are looking to go out and buy fentanyl, which can be 50 times as strong yeah. as heroin and other substances bought on the street. But what is what they're doing is they're feeding it into the mainstream drug, uh, you know, Products. Yeah, drug so users. people are going out buying cocaine or heroin or whatever, and it's cut with this fentanyl. So it's in it. Yeah. And they don't know what they're getting. Everybody, nobody wants to get fentanyl. Yeah. Drug users. I mean, polydrug users, obviously, in chronic addiction on the streets in Ireland and in Philadelphia and anywhere across the States are going to take risks every time they yeah. buy something. They just want to get their next fix. And they absolutely have to be looked upon as having a medical complaint that needs to be medically treated. But recreational drug users are going into the market in the US and they are not looking to buy fentanyl. They're trying to avoid it. Yeah. But it is in the system of everything. It has absolutely poisoned the entire drug system. And I suppose that is the same problem that will face us here in Europe and, will. and in Ireland. It will. I mean, it's not, I'd say you get to the, the reality that it's not really being produced or made in Ireland at this point. But what's, what's happened with each of these drug crises is that they've hit America and, and really it's taken 10 years for it to, to hit Europe and to the same extent. Um, and fentanyl has obviously been a problem for a good period of time now in the US. Obviously, some of that maybe have been driven by the sort of the the availability of of other kind of uh, uh, opiates that were really so widely available in the US, like oxycodone and these sort of ones. But there's obviously is a big fear that it's coming here. And in 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 um, in the Netherlands, there's been a couple of Mexican cartel people arrested mm -hmm. uh, in recent times producing methamphetamine. These were people that were born in Mexico. Part of one of them was meant to have been part of the Sinaloa cartel, um, and he they were they were deliberately relocated to Europe to 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 produce methamphetamine from scratch, and there was a belief that they were going to produce fentanyl from from the base products as well, mm -hmm. because I think once somebody knows how to do that, it can be very quickly mass produced. And you know. I was only reading recently. I'm just was looking for it. Can't find it there. So from memory, mm. um, they have discovered more and more of these laboratories in Europe. I think yeah. there was one in Spain where they're essentially sucking cocaine yeah. out of uh, products that it's hidden in. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like reverse. Yeah, it's well. It's we had this in Ireland. We had it in well. Ireland, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, we had we had people producing, uh, you know, liquefying. Cocaine and then deliquefying yes. for want of. I'm sure that's that's. That's. I was going to say that. Yeah, I don't think my technical term sucking the cocaine out of another substance yeah, is exactly yeah. right either. Yeah. But yes, their laboratories particularly set up so as they can create or, or turn cocaine into a different product yeah. for it to be brought ashore or yes. smuggled through the system. Yeah. I mean, it was such. being it was being uh, liquefied or it was being spread on clothes at one stage. Yeah. And uh, the clothes are covered in a sheet of this, and then it was. It was brought back to its, you know, its original yeah. form. 
Um, but yeah, there have been a number of um, a number of, of of people from Mexican cartels caught in Europe. There was one guy. Um, he's currently facing a sixteen-year prison sentence. A forty-year-old Mexican national who he was his he was. Now we didn't nickname him. Do you remember we spoke about yeah, nicknames? What's his nickname? Pa- Pablo Escobar. <laughs> <It's laughs> yeah, because he was reducing ice or met. So it wasn't the you know cunning yeah. a cunning name, but that came from his EncroChat handle. Yeah, Nicola. Yeah. So you see, the EncroChat so, handles were yeah. So he was calling was, himself called Pablo, himself Pablo Escobar. Escobar. And every week we seem to be getting um, more and more reports, more and more warnings. Yeah. On cocaine and yeah, I think slowing I, the demand. No, there's there? something slowing the demand, but I think there is a recognition now that. You see, like these problems when they they face countries like it, they only take action when it filters into broader society, and it's you know I think it's justifiably cynical to say that that um, if you look at the fentanyl crisis in the U.S., people didn't care that people were dying hand over fist in the U.S. until it became a political issue, and um, that the Republican Party really wanted to use it, you know, to do it their, their things on emigration and they the wanted to attack the Democrats and various reasons. So it's become a huge political issue. And but, also because so many celebrities died from it. Exactly. And, and rich people's children. Exactly. So it, affect, it started to affect society. And, and, you know, one of the real things was, oh, look, the, the, in, the cities look terrible because there's loads of addicts around. Like it wasn't the fact that people were necessarily addicted or dying of yeah. drugs, but it was that the optics of it. So that's being cynical. But I think there's a part of that in Europe as well now that that this this kind of endemic culture mm. of of gangland crime has affecting everybody in society. Like you know, is visibly affecting society that they seem to be at least you know springing into action, and that's not a bad thing in itself. I wonder how historians will look back on this whole cocaine crisis and Europe's response and um, you know what will the reasons they look at for the demand be is it the extra pressures in life I mean life is so stressful it is you know people need to unwind and people are finding that in substances I mean that's the fact they're finding it in alcohol they're well, finding will it we in- be looked back will we look back on a will we be when we go forward in the time machine will we be looking in a culture where all drugs are are legal or do you or think will we'll we be all just completely overheads all the time I don't know <laughs> or will we will will society change in another way where these things become uh, cracked down on even harder I mean it's impossible to predict that is, you know um but it, you know I, I I was really interested listening to your your interview yeah. because you're now looking back on these yeah. times. I always found it fascinating with the heroin crisis in Dublin, um, looking at this piece of footage, which is mm. available on YouTube. It's a piece of RTE footage. And it's of people being interviewed and they're standing around outside Hardwick Street Flats, yeah. I think it is. They're physically standing there mm. and they're concerned parents against drugs. And they are saying straight out, we are going to stamp this out. Yeah. We're going to stamp out heroin. And they believe that because that's a moment in time where that belief seemed to be something that they could do by physically standing and ordering drug dealers out. Yeah. They didn't realize that the power of heroin Mm. was far greater than any individuals in a flat complex because heroin came at a time when Dublin was bloody miserable. Yeah. And there were so many people marginalized, hopeless living with no, on the dole 
you know, the queues, the dough, the 1980s, you know, people, unemployment was huge. The country was miserable and grey. Yeah. And people took heroin because it gave them a kind of warm cuddle. Yeah. And, you know, others trying to say that we could stamp it out just didn't happen. It didn't work. They were so right, those people and what they did and the concerned parents and obviously things happened. Um, And I think you, you, you kind of see the same yeah. thing now with the attitude to cocaine. Yeah, because if you look back on it, and, and as 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 Brian was saying at the time, like what really what was going on in the media was a culture war, mm. where were the concerned parents controlled by the IRA or not? Yeah. And that was all the big debate. Like that's really what was focused on in the it media. It was when when he was sort of saying they should have actually been backed yeah. by the state. Would it have made a difference? I don't know. Heroin was, yeah. as I say, all those other factors were in play. Yeah. Um, so and then you we, had these greedy drug lords yeah. that we focus on maybe, yeah. maybe because they're the ones who are making the money. A lot of the greedy drug lords will say, if I don't do it, somebody else will. So why not? And people are taking, I'm not holding a gun to their head to take drugs. They're taking it. Yeah, I mean, that, look, everyone you know, has yeah, so everyone has a valid argument really in the whole thing. Yeah, but what happens around the issue of drugs and crime always is there's always a, a separate culture war going on that's being played out in, in, in the media and in, in society in general on social media now. And sometimes it doesn't get to the heart. It's a kind of a tangential issue. So we have these things going on around drugs and crime in, in Ireland at the moment. How would it all play out? Like, I wouldn't uh, be confident predicting anything. But. No, I have to say, I think that the one big realisation that's going to come, I mean, if I can look into the future at all, um, and just from a little bit of, of information, and I think some of that Encro chat that's coming up, cases yeah. that are before the courts, I think the level of corruption, which we're seeing again and again being mentioned in these reports, I think that is absolutely going to be mega and it's going to be an eye opener for everybody. Um, I know that there's certainly a number of cases before the courts in Liverpool, um, which will be shocking when they come forward and they're to do with the corrupting of various officials. And somebody very bright, intelligent, well-read, very well-educated and the whole thing said to me recently that, you know, there will possibly be talk about has Liverpool become a narco state? Yeah. And I think the other thing you're going to see over time is, you know, there's 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 a big debate coming up in Ireland about legalisation, decriminalisation of drugs. But I think you're seeing that counterforce coming up in Europe as well in places like in, in, in Holland and and you know, in other countries where there's been a liberalisation of drugs, there's also this other movement coming back, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of prohibition, for want of a better word, movement. So all of that is just going to keep coming on. Mm. But whether, you know, the big debate, of course, is if you made everything legal tomorrow, would all of this crime, corruption and all of that stop? And, you know, I would guess into the future, are, is, is does modern European society have the stomach to go full legalisation. I don't think it does. And does organised crime have the stomach to disappear? I don't yeah, think it does. No, but I think there will always be, would always, I think the problem with drugs is it will always be a black market. There will always be a market for stronger than what would be available legally. There will always be a market for cheaper. There will always be, they are so embedded, that whole sort of carousel of drugs, yeah. of illegal drugs, that organized crime, it's so embedded in society now 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there like if, if you look at fentanyl, like would would you know? And obviously, the, the the drug gangs make money selling fentanyl. Would any country ever have the stomach to say fentanyl is now legal and you can go in and buy it in a chemist? Like, e- even if that is for the greater good of society. I don't think any political party would ever have the courage to make, and, and I'm not saying they, it is. Like, yeah, but you it, see, it's probably, I mean, it is used obviously yeah. all the time in medical yeah. settings in this yeah. country. It's used as a painkiller. Yeah. Um, you know, it's used in all the hospitals. Yeah. And it is so dangerous yeah. and it has to be used so carefully that I don't think it's something that you could ever be able to go in and buy. You'd, no, but, it would always have to be administered medically so yeah. it's safe. That's why it kills so many people because yeah. it's so overly powerful. Exactly, so... If you're to cut out the the illicit fentanyl trade, the only way to fully do it is to make it illegal, legal, easier, easier to get and cheaper. And that that is like who's going to bring that in? Mm. Fina Fall, Fina Gale, Sinn Fein. I can't see it. I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't because I actually don't know, don't have a mm. clue. But I just can't see it happening. Yeah, I think you probably you know in your when you start talking about the whole thing and people throw out that oh we should legalise it all and it'll be fine yeah. people throw that out without any depth to yeah. that but when you start digging down into that you realise the implausibility of it the well it's complex at least I'm not saying usually. it is it's it's better or worse and some of what we're doing clearly isn't working either at the moment but it's just it's there. there is no easy answers unfortunately there's not and as I said to you before you know people who kind of say that you know and I agree it's failing. Yeah. But is it totally failing? Where would we be without what we're doing? Yeah. So look, this... would be in a very frightening place. You would. And it's going to keep going. And look, anybody, you know, we're, we're not claiming to have the answers, I think. Other people... And, and like, you have to be open to change. I mm. mean, that is the other thing. Society should be open to change and should be open to doing the least wrong thing, if you know what I mean. Mm. Whatever, whatever that is, you know. Right, well, I'm sure we're going to be back. In fact, I know we're going to be back talking about cocaine over the next couple of weeks. Talking about cocaine, not doing cocaine. Not doing cocaine. Yes. We don't have lines of it here no. on the desk. No. Um, our cocaine is probably a black coffee from, or yours, <laughs> yours is a latte, or I'm sorry, a cappuccino. Manly cappuccino. I get that yeah. wrong. And mine is a black coffee and that does us. That's our drug of choice. Thank you very much. So thanks a million. Thanks. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.